You're listening to Augustus Cho's Fry It Up podcast, where I will be frying it up with legends in sports, movies, music, comedy, politics, and more. When the sun beats down and burns the tar up on the roof, and your shoes get so hot, you wish your tired feet were fireproof. Welcome back to Jay Benjamin's Part Two. What was Schimmel's role in the ninety-two point three FM Stern show? Robert Robert was already he was already a big name, and he was also touring all over the country at the time. And he also had just written a book, um, How to Survive on Cancer for Five Dollars a Day, because he had survived stage five uh, Hodgkin's disease, brain cancer. And he was at the Mayo Clinic for that. And I, I was visiting him often in Arizona at the Mayo Clinic um, after we became friends. But um, he sock was all- puppet. Your sock puppet. Stop yeah. He, well, that's what got me on the show. And that's how I met Shimos because I was on the show and I, I called in in the voice of Shlomo and then, you know, came out of character because Shimmel started actually telling me that he thought that was kind of brilliant what I was doing. And this was live in front of everybody. I'd be like, Texting my parents, like, you gotta turn on Howard, you gotta turn on Howard, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. Um, and 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 we it was just an instant, it was like an instant chemistry between the two of us. It was an instant thing. Um, and 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 from there, uh Robert had invited me to come see him in Atlantic City. So uh I took my parents with me and he went we went to go to go meet him face to face after a show in Atlantic City. But he was on because he was promoting this tour, and he was on because he was already doing a bunch of movies and some big TV shows and things of this nature, and he's popping up in all these cool places. So um, that's really kind of his thing. He was already a big star, and Howard's always a star, and he was a friend of the show, and he was a friend of Howard's. He was on often. Um, but the fact that I got to him was, was the rarity of that. So I got to him, and um, uh, Shimon invited me down. I go to the show, and um, after the show, I go backstage, and – and that's when we finally, we finally meet for the first time. It, it was absolutely brilliant. He's there with his agent at the time. And I come in the room with my parents, and there's this big, open, open studio space with nothing but uh, a little table with some water and a baby grand piano without a stool. It was, it was all that was in there. And um, Robert looked at my parents, and um, he asked them. He said, you don't mind, you know, I'd, I'd like you to leave the green room, but Jay, I want you to, I want you to stay. And my parents looked a little baffled. I was a little baffled. And I looked at them. I was like, you heard him get the fuck out. <laughs> so I so many words. <laughs> literally, it's exactly what I said to them. My parents told me. And they, they were laughing. My dad started laughing. He goes, right. So, you know, they, they, were, they, they were super cool with it. And they, they laughed. And then, you know, Shimmel looked at me. And he, he took me by the hands. And he just looked at me. And he started talking to me while holding both of my hands. He just started talking to me and then he, he started telling me about what he felt about me as a young comedian. And he made me promise him I would never quit. And, you know, some other things we did discuss. And then we were getting into what he had gone through with the Hodgkin's disease and everything at the Mayo Clinic and cancer and everything going on. And the piano was sitting there, benchless piano. Never forget. It's just there in the room. And, and he, he looks at me and he goes, you know, the piano's here, and I want to show you something. I want to show you what I learned to teach myself while in the Mayo Clinic 
and constantly always having to bend over to throw up nonstop more about 90% of his day was spent kind of bent over throwing up. That was how he spent his, his days. Um, so he needed something to do. So what Robert Schimmel did was he taught himself how to play the piano with his nose without his hands, which when you first hear that and you think about it, it's so beautiful. And at the same time, you have to wonder how on earth and why on earth and who on earth with, 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 with think of, with think, with think of doing something like that. And lo and behold, there he was who, who did that. And I'm sorry I had to, to do that with, with the dog folks. He's, so, uh, um, he, uh, he taught himself how to play Bach with his face. Like he's like Jay watch. And he, he put his hands behind his back, sailors dive, sailor dive uh, position. And he started playing with his face and his jaw and his nose and his tongue. And he was hitting all the chords of the face and he's playing all across the piano, everything, everything. And perfectly without missing a note, Schimmel played this entire Bach piece with his nose, jaw, and face. And that is how he got over that he always was bent over throwing up and needing something to do while puking because that's what he needed to do because he was doing more of that than anything else. It's unbelievable. It was, it was unbelievable. And to, this, to, the, to that day, he passed, he, he, he was on the way to the Mayo Clinic August 26th uh, of that year, he, he texted me early in the morning, a happy birthday. Uh, also emailed it to me. He was very good with his email. Um, and um, then he was off to the Mayo Clinic. And um, Aaliyah, his daughter, was avoiding a car accident. And the car swerved. It rolled over. And I put him in a coma. And he was gone sooner. He was gone, you know, shortly after that. Um, that was the last, that was the last of it. Um, but he was a true truth teller and he was a storyteller, but a truth teller. And that is what I am on stage. Um, it's me just telling you the truth about what I went through. I'm only telling and talking about real stories. If I talk about a relationship, it really happened. Uh, it, it, it just is something that got instilled in me from him, but also something I was always looking to find in myself that I didn't know I was until he pointed it out. So he was more than a tremendous influence on, on my life. And, and he was very real. And if you knew him, he was extremely tangible to you at any given moment, 24 hours a day for anything. Um, and he was just a beautiful human being beautiful human being. And, and as many times as I promised him, I never would quit. I quit. And then I picked it up again. You know, like I, sure. I, would, I would have months where I stop, where I get so upset and angry. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I would just stop. And that was the end of it. Um, and, and then I'd go right back to it, but I've never quit. I never stopped. I never stopped. <laughs> I, I made mean, to catch my breath and get my stomach punched really hard. But, uh, I never have walked away. I've never quit. My, my whole life has done nothing but been on track to do exactly what I'm doing to end up on your show, Augustus. Oh, wonderful. You know, sometimes you have to fall off the uh, wagon to realize that you, had, you need to get back on. And then next time you stay on it longer and longer and longer. That's right. And that's, yeah. And that's what makes you a success. 
uh, it's the that that yeah the the, the not quitting and the the, the 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 always just always just non nonstop whether it's this I'm working on a couple of movies it's that I got fan room live with Cedric the Entertainer I am really blessed that I have these really cool things going on where it was a dream not too long not too long ago to even be in some sort of mix of what kind of current the current landscape the landscape that's happening right now that i know that's going on uh, right and speaking of uh, other things you're doing let's let's move on to that now thanks for sharing about robert uh, may you rest in peace um let's talk about some of your films all right and then your thoughts on it your experience on the set table one talk to us first 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 movie i ever did it was a martin bregman production I walked away with a few enemies from there because I'd never been on a film set in my entire life. And there's a, there's a protocol on set, which, which is if you're an actor, you don't cross the line where the stars, you don't eat food from the star's tent. You don't even approach or speak to a star. And I uh, did all I, that. <laughs> <laughs> That's your first break. <laughs> yeah, I literally, I ignored all of that shit. Nor did no one even talk. There's not like they give you a book. It says, here are the rules. I had no idea. So, I read that on Reader's Digest, man, in 1968. <laughs> man, there some people were so pissed at me. But God, I, I made forever friends there. And it got me. I went from an extra who'd walked in the door to Bregman's office going, please put me in this movie. Please put me in this movie. Please put me in this movie. I'll do anything. <laughs> anything. I'll do anything. Um, if you and, only knew. I only knew it. Yeah. And I get on the set, I'm running around like a crazy and all this stuff. And people are like, who is this fucking guy? And uh, before you know it, Stephen Baldwin comes right up to me and he goes, you look like my brother, William. And, <laughs> and I, I didn't know what the fuck to say to that. It was really awesome. And I was totally struck. And I was like, Stephen Baldwin, ah, Michael Rooker, ah, Burt Young, ah, you know, John Herman, ah, Ben Shanklin is still a friend of mine. Ah, it was like crazy. Everybody. Um, Ezra Knight, ah, um, Isaiah, ah, everybody's awesome group of people. Louise Guzman, beautiful, awesome dude. Um, funny, funny as ever. Um, they give me a part. I now go from an extra, from the guy running around, breaking the rules unknowingly, to getting a part. And they give me a part. And I come from a, 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 I'm a method actor. And, and, not that, and the training actually hurt. I eventually had to walk away from training because when, when you're born with something, and you start training someone to do it, it's like stopping a baseball pitcher in a natural motion of pitching a ball. Now you're making them think, and they'll never get the ball across. So when you do that to an actor, it totally fucks them up. So I can only take so much. But in the core, I understood it very quickly. So Meisner, Ibsen, Chekhov, all of them, and Shakespeare and the Bards, and all of, like that, I, I, I'm very, very in tune with, with all that stuff. And, and, and the scene was a scene in a strip club with very pretty women, all these celebrities, a very shy Jay Benjamin, and Baldwin and, and Bregman, and Bo Deedle. Bo Deedle is on set, and I met Bo. Um, uh, they tell me, you're, seeing, you, you're gonna grab the girl's tits, and they're gonna throw you out of the club. I said, what? I said, grab the girl's tits, and then Jimmy the Wags is gonna throw you out of the club. And I, 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 I'd re-ask the question like a couple times to make sure I was hearing them right. And eventually, like, the one person, I won't say who, screaming, said, grab her fucking tits. Would you grab her fucking tits already? So a meaty grab, a very nervous, Jay Benzer goes, 
and I grab this stripper's tits. And all you hear is everybody laughing behind me. I can't see them. They're like back here, right? And I'm over here in front, and I'm I aggressively grab these amazing, amazing boobs. <laughs> and they're hysterical. And they remade me do the scene like 37 times just for their own laughter, just so they could continue to laugh at me grabbing this girl's breast. And then on the last grab, and they were good, and they had as many as they needed to laugh at, and they were laughing, like laughing. Jimmy the Wags grabbed me by the, by the scruff of the, the shirt in the back, and they throw me out of the club head first. And you got paid for this? No. I, I, <laughs> I walked into Bregman's office begging, put me in the movie. I'd never been on a movie set before. I'd never done anything before. I'd nothing, nothing. And they, uh, that's a they, big step, you know, going as an extra and then on to actually a scene. That's pretty impressive. It's, and it's in, it's in the movie to this day. I didn't get credit for it either. Because the one person, I won't say who, was so pissed <laughs> that, that, that the higher powers, Baldwin, Bo Dino, Michael Rooker, Luis, they wanted me in it. Because I was the kid running around talking to all the girls, talking to celebrities. I was eating food. I didn't know the rules. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> Sometimes ignorance is bliss. And we will be right back after this important message. Then they have something else. You can only smoke weed in certain places. You're not allowed to smoke on federal ground. You're not allowed to smoke in certain places like a fucking library. All the schools are getting all the money for the pot, yet you're not allowed a thousand feet of the school. Well, what happens when the kids ask who built the school? Well, it was Mary Jane. And we're back. Oh my God. What, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for people that may not be aware, on a film set or TV set, there are strict protocols. So that's what uh, Jay's talking about. <laughs> when you don't know that and you're young and you're excited, hey, you could get a part in a film grabbing a woman's anatomy. You, you, you really can, guys. You, you really got to follow your, you got to follow your ride. And if you don't know better, you know, that's, it, it's to your advantage. If you know better and you do something, then shame on you. And then you deserve, like, you deserve people to be mad. I didn't deserve anyone to be upset at me. And again, there were, there were quite a few that I thought my career was, had happened and done immediately. <laughs> and it haunted me for years. I was like, I'm never going to work in this business again. This, these, some of these people fucking hate me for that. Um, uh, but uh, it, 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 that's not how that happened. You really got to, you, if, if you, 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 you go with your gut. You really, you really go with your gut and, 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 and don't be afraid to, to, to go with the gut. You know, you've really got to go with the gut. That's called audacity. Taking a bold chance. Um, yes. Yes, yes, yes. You've Jay's got to. Uh, checking his uh, phone email, so that's the reason. No, no, no. Um, I, have, there's, there's, and I can't say who, but there's some, there's, there's, uh, some pretty big people, um, two in particular, that are household names that are coming, that are in town, that that were persistent on coming, coming, coming to the house, um, and 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 I haven't seen them in a long time, and I may be doing a movie with one of them, so I was like, come over, no problem, you come over, and they and they they were coming through, um, um, so I'm just letting them know that 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 their two o'clock time is 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 perfect, um, all day with that, so Great. Um, so yeah. that's. Give them our best regards when you see them. 
oh, I definitely will do so. And, and I'm hopeful that, that what I'm speaking about really furthers into, into fruition. I have a movie uh, that I wrote. I, co- I, I co-created and co-wrote this movie called Subway, which is the airplane of 2021. It would have been 2020 for not, if COVID had not, had not come through. Um, and um, That premise sounds interesting already. I know what airplane is about. I mean, this has got to be airplane times 10. 100%. I wrote it with my best friend, Bob Epstein. Um, he, he, um, he, he really um, gave me a shine with this. And, and also is how I, I got met Steve Gutenberg, who became my, a very dear friend and mentor. It's all, excuse me, all because of Bob. And um, we, we wrote this movie together many, many years ago. Um, and it's an over-the-top, politically incorrect, raunchy, raunchy comedy. And it is a spinoff of Airplane, but on the New York City subway system. It is totally hysterical. Nobody's ever done it before. I own all the rights, all the copyright. I bought like so many years, everything, everything, everything. And I was able to raise tens of billions of dollars for this movie. Um, And now we're in the offering phase of this project right now, where we're now sending offers out to all the big stars. You do realize that if you're going to do a subway in New York City, number seven train, that's full of Koreans. That goes from man. So I would love to have you in the movie. I'd be honored to have you in. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. No, that's Wait. up to you. I mean, I, I used to live in New York, so I mean I understand what the culture is and what the subway is. And number that's seven train, man. You can't you can't you can't avoid Koreans. We were like roaches. We're everywhere, you know what I mean? You're gonna you you I'll 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 send you the script. You're gonna if, if you're into that type of humor, then you will there's no way you will miss laughing. Uh, at all, you may even say, "Hey, you may want to add a joke or two like this," and I would do it. So we're it, it's it's a cool thing, but it's going to be about a thirty-five day shoot in New York City. So uh, we hey, are think about it. I mean, I'm not. But no, I'm, no, no, no. I'm just saying. Look, they're, 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 the New York City allow the New York City subway allows for so much room and so much movement and so many characters and 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 there is so much content that we tried to get as much of it as we could into this. Because there is so so much, and everybody from around the world does come to see the New York City subway, and people go to the subway to be discovered who live in and around New York City. You see them on the platform, you see them in the subway cars, from singers to musicians to performers of all kinds to every walk of to actors and actresses and spoken word artists and poets, and like they're all there. And There's a million Koreans in the New York metropolitan area. I didn't know that. Yeah, all about a million. All around New, uh, North Jersey, that whole area is about a million. So million, yeah, about a million or so. Yeah. Well, we will. Uh, you, you, Augustus, I'll send you the, I'll send you the script, and we're done. And if you laugh and you like it, then we'll, we'll definitely put you in. And I have the power to do that. The power yeah, if it's funny, I laugh at anything as long as it's funny. It's funny, genuine. It's, I don't it's, doubt that. It's just over the top, politically incorrect. Post-COVID, you know, the minute COVID hit, we went back really quick and threw everything in we needed to. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, uh, it's very – everyone who's read this script has walked away head over heels, belly over laughing, like, this is, this is, this is, this is really funny. And, and, and a bunch of uh, other movie star friends of mine and colleagues who have read it, same thing. Um, uh, even Ken Davidian from Borat One, the first Borat, who's now Mr. Mayfair and Cobra Kai. Ken's a good buddy of mine. He read the script and he said, Jay, 
this is so fucking funny. I'll, I, I'm, I'm in, I, I, I'm in this movie. I want to be in this movie. So, you know, I, I gave him a role to be in this movie. Also, it, 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 it's this type of thing right now. It's so it's really exciting. And we just, you know, you, again, anything can happen, you know, it's, it's, it's a crazy business and a crazy world. So we want to just keep that the energy going. So we've got a lot of good things, a lot of good things going, which is, which is all I can really say. So we need movie, something like that. So, yeah, the train is moving, man. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, let's talk about Murder by Numbers with Sandra Bullock a little bit, and then we'll move on to something else. Castle Rock. That was a Castle Rock picture. My uh, friend of mine a long time ago, Darren, was working for Castle Rock. I was my first time living in L.A. Um, this is in the early uh, – this, this is early on, um, early 2000. And um, I was kind of really still very, very new to Los Angeles. And a friend had put me on and introduced me to Darren – and Darren had said, hey, why don't you come down to Castle Rock? We're shooting this movie with Sandy Bullock. And that was a no-brainer. <laughs> I was like, what? I, I like, like, no-brainer, absolutely. So I got in my car, and I went down to Castle Rock, and they let me right in through the guard. And then Darren was there to meet me outside set, and he walked me right in through the Oscar winner Lee Percy's office. <laughs> there he is, editing away, this brilliant man. Um, and then right on the set where Sandy Bullock was in full motion. And then she got done her scene and she came over to me and she goes, you're kind of cute. And we kind of laughed and had this nice like little banter back and forth. And then I met everybody else. And then it was kind of their idea to keep me around. They're like, Hey, you want to be a production assistant? And I'm like, whatever, what does that do? And they're like, well, you will just give you shit to do and you'll, you'll do it. And I said, okay, I'm in. So I got to hang out and, and do that. It was an awesome experience and very, 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 very cool. So yeah, that, that, was, that was as big and as small as, as that was. But it was really, really, really cool watching them film and make that movie in studio and, 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 and the process yeah. of all behind the scenes was quite fascinating and quite interesting and intriguing to me. And I, I was excited then to see how it looked on the other side. Yeah. I couldn't wait to see what I had seen See, behind the scenes, I very badly wanted to see what it looked like in the front. And it was a phenomenal film. Very, very good movie. So it was cool. Yeah. People ask, you know, what's it like being on a set, especially an over $100 million production? It's nothing like any other profession. It's nothing that you've experienced before. And once you get on a professional set, that feeling is addictive. Yep. And I have this phrase, uh, once you're done filming, call post-production depression. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, you know God. what I'm talking about? Yeah, I'll have it after our show. <laughs> like, like, like I'm honored. But, but it, it's how it is, Augustus. This is so exhilarating to me. This is so much fun. This is the stuff I dreamed of, to be part of, to be involved with, to be allowed to do by other people in our industry. Yes, not everybody in the business loves me. I don't love everybody in the business, but it doesn't mean we can't be in the business and be with each other and cohabitate and co-express and be respected for that. This is an honor for me because I get to do this with you. It is huge in my mind. So please, oh my. It's an honor to have you. Uh, honor is all ours. Uh, but after the production is over, you know, you go home and then every, there's no lights, no sound, no mics, no boom, nothing. You know, it's just like, oh, it's back to reality. Yeah, the crash. Yeah, yeah. No personal yeah. assistance. You know, it's like, damn. So I do miss that. And it's a very unique experience. Uh, I, I understand where you're coming from when you say you enjoy being on the set of uh, Sandra Bullock's film because you yeah. learn so much. 
Like I could be, I could be in the mix all day, all night, 365 days a year. And it really not get old for me. It's, it's so exciting. It's so cool. And I, I was not the cool kid, (laughs) you know, like you are now. That's for sure. I hope so. I hope some people think so. You know, I am definitely the, the, the nerd on the inside for us nerds that come through. And a lot of people don't realize that some people get the wrong impression. That's cool. You know what I mean? But like, I, I literally to the core, I'm a nerd. And again, a little broken. I've been through my shit and I'll continue to go through this shit because that's how this is designed. It is designed that way. If it was so easy, everybody could do it. But then again, that's just how you find out. You know, and people die along the way doing this or trying to get somewhere, trying to be something they're not trying to trying to whatever, you know, and it's it's really hard. It's really hard. And, and luck and blessings, opportunities like this, Augustus, that you're providing and, 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 and wanting and, and opening up like a flower for us to, to have. This is how people will survive in these post down moments of, oh, shit, the lights are off. Nobody cares about me anymore. Am I still in this business? Like, like, do I still have a career? Like, like, what do I do now? You know, like, what happens? I mean, he's everything counts here. And we will be right back after this important message. I dated a married woman once, too. I just treated it like she was an Orthodox Jew. I made her wear a wig everywhere we went. <laughs> truly about it was I didn't have to take her out on Friday and Saturday night. And we're back. I mean, we're all essentially children, still trying to figure out what life's about, what existence is about. Some do it better than others. Others struggle with it. But in the end, you know, it all pan out okay. That's right. Absolutely correct. And you have to keep... You know, the law of attraction, Dr. Wayne Dyer, Louise L. Hay, Rhonda Bryan's The Secret. Oh, yeah. We're getting to that, too. <laughs> Don't worry, buddy. <laughs> With your words and what you put out to the universe. And yep. your- the vibration. All of it. All of it is super important. Well, let me get there. So we're going to cover other things. And we're going to get there. All right. So, Jay, you, you're a bi-coaster at this point. You, got, you reside in New York City as well as in, on the West Coast. How's that working out for you? Um. Well, COVID, it's quiet, you know, and I can't, you can't go left or right, but um, it's great. You know, it's, I'm, again, very blessed and lucky that I, my New York City made me. My foundation is there. My, my friends and family are there. The roots of the career and my agents and people are, everybody's there. And then I have my LA family and new family that have come from being and going and doing and seeing and invited and part of and blah, blah, blah. So it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Um, and, 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 and again, it's a blessing. It's really, really neat. It's a really neat thing to know that I can go left or right. And there's, there's people in places that want to be with me and me with them. And it's, it's safe to be. So it's, it's cool. It's really cool. It's really cool. Actually. Good. Uh, what, one thing do you miss about not being uh, in New York City nowadays? The food. Anything in particular? <laughs> food. Being able to go to being able to go to Mott Street and go to Wohop, uh, being able to go to Carnegie, being able to go to a myriad of places, being able to just walk down Times Square and grab any major 
pastry, like a blueberry muffin the size of my face, jam it in and then walk 90 blocks and walk it off. Being able to get a bagel. I'm a bagel-aholic. Like, I will eat, like, I'll buy a dozen bagels and eat them within two days. Like, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm horrible that way. And then regret it for three, punish myself for five, and then starve <laughs> three weeks after. And then do it again, you know? Yes. Like, <laughs> so, so I miss the water bagels. The food in New York, you know, it's the water. It's the difference in the water. You know, like, it, it, and people don't always realize that. The reason why food is different in different places, nine out of ten times it's the water. When it comes to bread, bread in New York, like, bread is amazing because of the water. The water in New York, this hard water, that's when you get in the shower and the soap doesn't stay on for nine years. It comes right off, and that's amazing water. When you get out west and they have to really siphon and, and cycle it and process it and clean it and filter it and all of that stuff – it's softer, so it, even when you shower, it's longer to get the soap off, and it changes the way your food comes out. I'm not saying that there aren't amazing places to eat in L.A. There are. The bread in L.A., amazing. Sushi in L.A., I've got some favorite spots. Forget about it. Forget about it. Better than some places in New York. Chinese food, though, in New York City, there's no place like it in America, in my opinion. Like, you're not, if you want real Chinese food, you've got to go to New York City. In America, go to New York City. Go to Chinatown and have a black. Take the day. Walk around Canal Street. Walk around the whole town. Explore. Go on a, go go check out the old churches. And the, the, the woman with the pastries is still there. She's been in like 70 years. Those little pastries that are like a dollar, they're still a dollar. They're like the size of a quarter. They come in a bag. They're powder puff. You're walking around. You're popping them. You're like, oh, my God, these are so delicious. Uh, still there. Well hops. Been there 109 or 111 years, something like that. I mean – Holy Mikey's. It's <laughs> so good. The food, man. The food and the culture, it, it, it comes in with it. You know, this, the people, the hudge-budge, you know, the noise, the movement, the traffic, the, and the hustle and bustle of New York City and the comings and goings of everywhere and being able to, to leave your house at nine in the morning and, and, and not return for three days because you've gone someplace and maybe you've gone to an event and you met somebody, you got invited to a party that goes out here. Then you end up in the Hamptons. Then you end up over here. Then you're back into the city. I mean, it's a town where the minute you can get swept up in the current, that current can take you for so long. And that current still takes me to this day. It brought me out here. It continues when I go, when I go to New York and I'm home, that current picks me up again and it's off and going. I mean, all of that. But number one is the food. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, you put it very well. Let's give a shout out to your uh, um, old uh, alma mater, UConn. Yes. Oh, my let's, God. Let's talk about that a little bit. Now, most of the people, when you, when they hear UConn, University of Connecticut, they think of basketball and rightly so. Yeah, the Huskies. Yeah, but for you, you actually got a Master Fine Arts there. I did. I had, yeah. I had a, a full-ride acting scholarship to the University of Connecticut, which I had almost blown for sleeping with the professor's secret lover. But I didn't know <laughs> lover. They got pissed about that stuff. I didn't know. Again, another situation you don't know. You're in college, and you're just so happy to be with 40,000 kids. <laughs> and you grow up. I was a nerd. I was pretty shell, you know, as myself. And, and then you know, all these kids are like, holy shit. Um, you're no longer a virgin. You're running around. Everything is attractive. That's uh, exhilarating, right? No longer being a virgin. Oh, my God. It's so exciting. Every, you're like, you're, you're constantly like, ah. Uh, um, it was it was it was so much fun. Um, and and Bobby Moynihan from Saturday Night Live, 
was um, my acting, my scene partner in acting class. It was me and Bobby Moynihan. And in the class ahead of us was Bobby Sparks, who was the star on Burn Notice. Um, and we have another friend, another Rob, from that class who was amazing at playing these very sick, psychopath, rednecky type of characters. No offense to the rednecks out there. I'm a redneck too. It's all good, baby. Um, you know, exactly. Um, but played, played y'all really well and scaringly. And he has done some really good films. There's a group of us that came out of that, that, that thing. Bobby's had the, the, the straight shot career. He went to college. He knew what he wanted to do. He ended up on second city and then in, and all the things in New York and, and on and on and on. And then, you know, Saturday Night Live, and then his career, I mean, totally different paths, totally different paths, and came from the same pocket, totally different paths. And I have had to go the longer way to get around because I've had to learn harder because I've made more mistakes, and that's okay. <laughs> it's, it's the truth of it. You know, I've made more mistakes. I've had to learn harder. I've had to learn different. That's not something I chose. That just is the way it's been. That's the way it is. But the higher power shows me I am on the right path. I am meant to be and to go and to keep doing. So, you know, be, do, have. Be it, do it, have it. Something my mother would instill. A friend of mine reminded me the other day. Same thing. Be it, do it, have it. But it's all there. All meant to be. As they there say, what's beshared is beshared. What's meant to be is meant to be. Hear yeah. me. Hear me, Mel Brooks. Yeah. <laughs> or as we say in the South, bless your heart. Right. Uh, Share with us some of your uh, trainings in terms of Shakespeare, Chekhov, and Meisner, and Ibsen. All UConn, all all method acting, all stuff I couldn't stand learning, uh, even though I could stand it. Like, I liked it, but again, it was going against my grain because I was born with this natural thing where you, you really don't need to get that deep into it. You just need to kind of shape it when it's already in motion. So, um, which is my story, really. And, 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 and that really was, was hardcore into, you know, you know, why did you just make that movement? Why are you turning your head to the right? Why are your eyes looking up left? And always the thought behind the action and very calculated, methodically understanding why you're doing a certain action, why maybe you took a beat, why it's all of this stuff. And for me, it was getting in the way. It was getting in the way of what I already knew naturally to do somehow, some way. And I attribute it to the pain I suffered as a child and then acting, finding me and it saving my life. I attribute it to this, that thing, plus being born into it, it being in my bloodline and me being of it and coming from the cloth, woven from the cloth. That is what we are. So, you know, that type of, that type of thing. So, so in your uh, observation, these method acting uh, trainings that, you know, that are wonderfully out there. You think that they're more for individuals who may not have that natural ability? Yes. Flow, yes. And for people like you and I who are more naturally in tune to it? Yep. It gives them a psychology. It gives them a starting point. It gives them a starting point of, to understand uh, the craft and to understand the method and understand why. Um, well, I was a, I was, I was a, 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 psychology, a, a psychology graduate. My final um, exam, there was one question on the exam, and the question was why. 
And the answer is because. And I got an A+. Plus. It's done. And that is, that is true psychology. And that is the answer. Why? Because. That is flat answer. And the why is the method. So when you don't know and you're not born with and you're looking to become or looking to get into or looking for the answer, why, that method gives you the why. And then from there, you can take it, reshape it, make it yours, and re-deliver it in a way that becomes you, away from the why. Right. I mean, based on what you said, I can't imagine Chris Tucker trying to act through this uh, method acting with Jackie Chan. <laughs> you would stifle him. He just wouldn't be funny and he wouldn't be him, right? Oh, you can't. It's, you, you're now taking the baseball player who's in perfect motion to throw this ball and you're now stopping him and you're forcing a block on the mound. Baseball player doesn't need to think about that. Baseball player needs to know his pitch, what he wants to throw and get it over to Matt. He's not, he's not going to, he's not going to sit and, I got to lift my leg up. I got to tuck behind. I got to da 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 It's not going to do this. It's not going to happen like that. Like, how, how far did you get into uh, this training before you realized this has limitations for me? Yeah. Um, I was like two years in. I was good. And then I just stopped going to class. I stopped, <laughs> I stopped going to class and I took Wally Lamb's creative writing class instead. I'm really lucky that Wally Lamb happened to be at UConn. That year teaching, he was already a huge success with his book. She's come undone, making Oprah's bestseller list. So I took Wally Lamb's creative writing class with my buddy, Kevin Freeman, who played for the Huskies, who was supposed to go to the NBA. And that we were, it was me, him, like we, we, me, him, Rip Hamilton, who ended up going to the NBA with Michael Jordan, or Khalid Alamine, Jake Vosco, all of us were all friends and we all in the same class. So I ended up taking that class instead. And then when I became from the basketball players, being on a basketball, I'm a huge basketball head. I love b-ball. Um, that was it for me. I was like, I was done. I was like, fuck class. I'm going to hang out with these guys, shoot hoops, meet some girls, smoke some weed, and enjoy, like, college, you know? <laughs> like, Absolutely. Like, college, in, right? So yeah. I didn't like that either over at the acting at the final. <laughs> they didn't really like that. Oh, they didn't really weren't happy with me for a while. They were, they were really disappointed in me because, you know, they, they saw my talent and they saw – where, where I was going to go and I was going to do, they wanted to hang on to it a little bit longer than I really wanted to let anybody else hang on to me for. And, 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 and really well, I, there too, I made some people pretty pissed, you know? So again, if you're not failing and pissing people off, you're not succeeding. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what else to tell people, but that's really the truth. You, you just, you're not going to win all these battles. No way. They, yeah. They all mean well, but maybe it may not be for you. No, exactly right. And we will be right back after this important message. And I'm losing my virginity with all of you. It's an amazing experience, all of us in one place. Use your imagination. And we're back. Let's talk about Affluenza 2014. Listen, Kevin Aspuby, Morris Levy, producer, Steve Gutenberg starring... It's because of them that I ended up in that film. My friendship with Steve Gutenberg, he's my mentor and dear friend. He, he, he is such a beautiful human being, one of the most talented guys I know, um, and, and most beautiful heart ever. And um, it was because of him, and he introduced me to Morris Levy, another equal 
human being to Steve uh, Gutenberg. Uh, and, and, and they were like, Jay, we'd love to have you participate in the film. And they gave me just this little part in, in a couple wedding scenes. Um, and I do have credit in this movie. Excellent. <laughs> Yeah, and um, it was really cool, and, 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 and Morris is still a really good friend to this day, and, and Kevin Ash is a friend, and, and it, just, it was an honor, and that was, that, was all because, that was all because of Steve, you know, he just, uh, he knew how bad I wanted, he knew how bad I wanted to do it, and then he had me come out, and then the premiere came up, and uh, I wanted to go to premiere really bad, and I gave them a hard time, I really, I gave them a hard time about it, you know, like, I don't think I was really on them. <laughs> to go and I called him up. I was like what the fuck I thought it was your friend I would have gone he was like you know and that was a whole funny thing and I ended up going to the premiere and that was really really fun and I ended up on TMZ <laughs> with Steve that day which was totally hysterical on two different episodes of TMZ they got me really good and they kept reusing my face and some comments we made with, with him which are great and then we also went to go uh we hung out with Andy Cohen also, because Steve had to do a, a show with Andy Cohen and Leah Ramiri, and that was the night I met Jennifer Lopez. And Jennifer Lopez is in Leah's is in Leah's dressing room, and she kind of had her head sticking out and just kind of looking around, and we're all back. And Steve goes up to the front, and I go into the control room. The snap picture is in the control room, and Steve on with Andy and Leah. And I remember going up to J-Lo, like right away. Like I walked over, and I said, you know, hey uh, – and I'm starting to get red and really shy. I was like, I don't, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, really bother you, but I got to introduce myself. I'm Jay Benjamin. I'm really, I'm close friends with Steve Gutenberg. Obviously, I mean, I'm back here. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> like, like whatever, but I'm really a huge fan of everything you do from, from music to film and vice versa. And I just, I just dig your shit. <laughs> she just kind of looked at me and we shook hands and had a little like brief interface. And I kind of then went back in their dressing room, you know, so. That's a lot more than most people get. I yeah. Hear. It was huge, 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 huge. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's another it feather all, in your cap. <laughs> it was all Gutenberg. It was all Gutenberg's doing. Without him, none of that would have been ever possible or would have ever happened in my life, ever, ever, yeah. ever. All Steve, and that shows you how beautiful. Yeah. He, he really, I mean, he's such a great guy. Yeah. This, I can't say enough awesome stuff about Steve Gutenberg. No I, understand. Yeah. I understand. Yeah, yeah. At some point, you became a producer because uh, you kind of evolved from acting and all those things into producing and yeah. alienated, right? Yep. Movie so, uh, the business yeah. pushed me a little bit, and um, um, another guy who we will never speak to each other again. Weird shit. Everyone trying to get somewhere and do something and not understanding each other at certain points, at certain moments, or whatever. But um, Taylor is my really dear friend. Uh, may he rest in peace. And he, we met on the street. That's Taylor Negron. Taylor Negron, yeah. We, we met on the street on the, upper, on the Upper West Side. And for Taylor, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Easy Money, um, uh, The Last Boy Scout. He was on Seinfeld. I mean, Taylor was everywhere. And he was the guy when he rolled out with him, everybody came up to him. You're that guy from, you're that guy from. That's what he had to deal with. That was his, that was his fame. He had the most recognizable face. And characters or people stopped him everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Um, but Taylor brought me in. When he met me, he goes, you have a beautiful nose. And I need a new horse, a stallion, <laughs> a barn. <laughs> like, that's, how, that's what he said to me. And uh, I was off and running with him. Um, and interestingly, I had introduced him to the folks that were making Alienated. Because I had just done a film with them previously 
the butterfly chasers, which they ended up kind of dumping and leaving, and it turned into 2050, which is a whole other story that I don't even, I won't even get into that. But um, I had an opportunity to get Taylor into this movie, and I knew Taylor was dying of cancer, and this would be his last movie ever. And there was a double honor in it for me. One, he was my really dear friend, and two, I knew that the world would get to see one last, one last Taylor, one last role from him. So he ended up in that film. That sealed that for me. And everybody and anybody in the business pretty much knew Taylor's last movie, Alienated, was because of Jay Benjamin. So that, that has trailed me to this day. And that um, opened up a shit ton of doors everywhere that still opens doors to this day. And it goes on from there. And that put a producer hat on me. And now made me a producer. And then people found out, ooh, Jay knows a lot of people. And he's friends with a lot of people now in the game. And, you know, he can make phone calls and people answer the phone. And he can do that. And I used to have a shitty barometer. So people out there listening, we all have bad barometers in the beginning. You never know who's real and who's not. And you, again, you got to fail really bad and you got to make a bunch of enemies. And then your barometer gets really fucking good. And, uh... I had, I had an interesting barometer, but um, now I, my, my, my barometer is, 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 is really, really on point. And my accessibility to, to people and the business is on point. And people, people kind of know that. And um, it's now whether they like you, they don't like you, they want to make money with you, they don't want to make money with you. Well, will they tolerate it for whatever? Do, you know what I mean, there's a whole bunch of different psychological elements that then come into play at that point forward. But now forever, I'm a producer. and The phone rings nonstop. And it's, hey, Jay, can you help us with this? Can you get us talent for that? Can you get us money for this? Can you bring us over here? Can you get us into that? Can you, can you, can you, can you? And a lot of times I'll do it because I love to do it. I love to be part of it. And a lot of times it's contingent. Yeah, I'll do it if I can do this. You know, I'd love to help you with that if I can participate with this. You know, so it becomes a one hand wash the other, which I think is okay. There's nothing wrong with this. So that's, that's where that is at with that. And it's, it's also exhilarating and very exciting for me and also an honor for me. Um, and, and I've had a lot of failures there too. I've put a lot of movies together and I've raised tens of millions of dollars for people. I, upwards of 40, 50 million at a couple different times at this point so far. And some crazy shit has happened where nothing will happen. Tell you one in particular, I brought in my good friend Jonathan Kane a journey to be the, the 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 music supervisor and write the score for a certain film. And um we never got and I, I had the money raised and we never got to do that because one of the people involved in the film got arrested with like twenty two pounds of weed in their car. And uh then you know, that ruined everything. You know, but I had a script ready to just the entire thing was scored ready to go by Jonathan Kane with his music, Journey's music, everything go. Money was in the bank, ready to go. And then that shit happens. Like, boom, that killed that deal. You know, I've raised money for other projects where Me Too movement hits and we didn't know. And then we found out, we we're like, holy shit, are you, are you kidding me? This guy is that disgusting to do something like this to a woman or anyone in general? Who, do, who wants to work with him? And I have a zero, I'm zero tolerant. Like I have no tolerance at all for any of that shit. You, you, men, women, transgender, gay, bi, you, you go 
and you attack and you do something like that, I'm, I'm automatically against you. Yeah, that's like, based I'm, on your sense of justice from your childhood. Correct. And so I have, a no, I have zero tolerance for mistreat, especially like, especially with what, with what we've seen in the past, you know, a couple of years really come to light. And it's not that we didn't know or we haven't heard or you don't, when you're in the circle of circles, you hear everything. You, you really, it, it, it comes. And to really find these things that have happened and hear, it's disgusting what, what, what's gone on. And it's horrible. Um, I echo that. And I have, no, I have no tolerance for it. I'm the first one to grab. I'm the first one. I, I've seen like, mothers like, scream at their children in a supermarket uh, and or couples get into a fight. The one happened the other day. And I had to be the, the guy. Something in me said I had to be the guy to stop it. Because nobody else is going to do it. And it's going to get really bad. It's going to get really bad. And I put my life at risk to do it. And I've almost been hurt doing it. But at the same time, I've saved quite a few people from getting really violently hurt, at least from what publicly could have been seen. When they go home, nobody knows. What happens? God forbid. But if it happens in front of my face, I will stop a show, and I've done it, to end it and get it out of everything and separate, asunder with everything. And, you know, just it just is it it's something inside of me that I can't, I have a problem. I can't let that shit go. Well, it's called clarity of morality. That too, but it can get you in trouble and I recognize it, but I also, I also don't, I, I can't remember one situation, even knowing it could get really dangerous for me where I've, I've turned my head and said, I'm not gonna try and calm everybody to fuck down. <laughs> Like get everybody where they safely need to be because I know that what's going on isn't meant to be. So, you know, you see it, you see it out there and it, you know, it's, you gotta, you know, you really got to put a stop. You got to put a stop to it, you know, smartly one way or another, you, you've got to say something, you know, if you say nothing, I think you're doing a more of an injustice than, than when you see something and you, and you don't, you don't do, you don't, you don't, you, if you just don't do anything, I, I find it to be a severe injustice. I really I, do. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. This is the end of part two. We thank you for listening and invite you to tune in next time for part three. Meanwhile, join our growing family by subscribing our podcast.